0: Lord Jesus, we open our hearts now to receive your word. Thank you for the opportunity to open our hearts in worship, to open our hearts to the table. And now we open our hearts to receive you, the living, eternal word. Come, speak to us out of the fullness of who you are, for the glory of your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me add my good morning to all the rest of the good mornings you've already received today. My name is Pastor Jim Olson. I have the privilege of serving here as the uh, lead pastor here of Bethel St. Paul. And I want to tell you a story today. Um, and I'm actually going to read it because um, I wrote it almost like a journal entry. And so uh, I just want to kind of bring you in to this. This is a not a once-upon-a-time story. This is, well, it's a once-upon-a-time-in-my-life story um, that happened 20 years ago. 20 years ago this past spring. In the spring of 1993, on a brisk morning, my wife drove me out to one of the megachurches located on the northwest suburban edge of the cities. As I unloaded my bag and my books and my pillow, I felt a growing knot in my stomach and a tightening in my chest. After kissing her goodbye, I walked through the mall-like entry doors of the church and into one of the Sunday school rooms there, which was about the size of our sanctuary. And there were approximately 70 other people there. Only one of them whom I knew. The knot in my stomach and the tightening in my chest grew. After a few minutes of stilted conversation, the leaders had us sit down for an orientation time. Soon we were back on our feet, headed towards the doors, which when opened brought in the distinctive fragrance of diesel fumes. And there stood the buses. After placing my bag in the bowels of the bus, grasping tightly onto my folder, which if you haven't known, this is sort of my Linus blanket, okay? So grasping tightly to my folder with my pillow in hand, I got on one of the buses and sat next to a window with my proverbial nose pressed to it. And there was a stranger who sat down in the seat next to me. At that moment, and this is not an exaggeration, complete panic set in. What had I done? What on earth had I agreed to? This was a colossal mistake. It took all of my concentration, um, probably counting to ten in my mind, over and over and over again, not to bolt out like a rabbit does before the doors finally shut and the wheels started moving taking me away captive for the next four long days. Now perhaps by now you're wondering where on earth was he going? Maybe we can talk about that next week. No, um, I'll tell you now. Where we were heading was up to northern Minnesota, the Camp Chamonix, to the Twin Cities Pastors Prayer Summit. Now, when I'd gotten the notice about the prayer summit, it had sounded really good. I was kind of dry spiritually, weary ministerially, and, you know, the concept of pastors gathering together for for four days for the sole purpose of praying and not preaching and not anything else, just really coming together in the presence of the Lord, sounded refreshing, but sitting on that bus, I felt like I was being sent away for four long days. Did I mention it was going to be four long days of prayer? Now, for those of you that know who I am, you, you understand that, you know, I have struggles sitting still for 15 minutes. Did I mention that this was going to be four long days? In the company of 70 others who I was quite sure were far more spiritually mature than I was. And it wasn't going to take long for my spiritual immaturity and inadequacy was going to come to the surface when I was praying together with these godly people for four long days. Well, to make a long story short, those four long days... Flew by, and before I knew it, I was back on a bus heading back here to the Twin Cities. And I can look back 20 years and tell you with total honesty that those four days were transformational for my life, for my ministry, for this house. and potentially for the city and beyond. Because out of those four long days, the Lord began to birth in me something as it related to prayer. I'm not a natural intercessor. It's not one of my spiritual gifts. But the Lord led me into a season of extended time with him that did refresh my soul and began to give me a vision for something more. The next weekend, after I got back, we went on our annual board retreat, and out of that board retreat, at that board retreat, which turned into a prayer retreat, was birthed the foundational principles and values which we are looking at these years, and really out of that time was birthed that calling upon this house to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. Not only that, soon after that was birthed our Thursday day of prayer time here, which has been going on now for 20 years. Out of that pastor's prayer time, that pastor's prayer summit was birthed, a weekly pastor's prayer gathering that meets right up here in the prayer room for the last 20 years. I've been praying weekly with other pastors here in the city. Out of that prayer gathering was birthed the Mission St. Paul prayer movement and kingdom adventure that's going on to this day. Five years later, we're still, my wife and I were just out this this past couple of weeks, we've been praying through, starting in Ward 2 now, we've been praying through the precincts. We've been praying through Precinct 1, 2, 4, now beginning in Precinct 3 down on the west side. We prayed up the Summit Hill area. So I'm committed here personally to praying through and for every city street here in St. Paul. All of that was birthed from those four long And so the word that I'm bringing you today, I wanted to share that with you because you need to understand the background to this, that this isn't something that's just theory. It's not just words on a page or words on a screen. This is words that have been written in and upon our hearts and upon my heart as your pastor. And so I'm excited today to continue our series of messages entitled Iraq, which is the Hebrew word which means foundation, which means to set in order, which means to prepare for battle. We're laying a foundation in order to be set in order, to prepare us to continue to engage the community and the world around us. And we believe that the Lord wants to reestablish our our identity, who we're called to be, so that we will continue to re-engage our destiny, what we are called to do. The two are integrally connected. When you know what to do, when you know who you are, you will know what to do. If you don't know who you are, you won't know what to do. This morning we're going to be looking at foundational principle number three. The first principle that we looked at two weeks ago, and you can pick up the CD and the PowerPoint for it in the back or go to the website if you want to catch up on some of these others or go back and refresh and renew, you can go back to that. The first foundational principle is we will stand for truth. Our statement of faith is a living expression of the doctrinal foundations upon which we stand. Our second foundational principle is that we will establish our unity in our Christ-centered vision, and we experience unity in the midst of diversity as we are fitted together in Christ. Last week, we looked at this in depth, and we explored the concept of Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, and us as living stones being built into a spiritual house with Him. This morning... Our focus is we will depend on God in prayer. Our life and vitality as a congregation is dependent upon prayer. The values that come with that is that our work will flow out of resting in his presence through prayer. And prayer is not peripheral to our programs. It is the atmosphere in which our programs will be fruitful. It is not peripheral. It's not something that's kind of on the outside, an add-on. It is central to our, to what our programs, and not just our programs, our whole life together, our vision, everything is dependent upon prayer. So this morning, I want to talk about prayer life. Prayer life. And I'm going to use a biblical picture out of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So if you have your Bible, if you would turn there please. If you're using the Bible located right in front of you, turn to page 320. Turn to page 320, or you can follow along in your own. I'm not going to be putting all of the words to this particular text on the screen, so I encourage you today, if you have your Bible... Find it, pull it out, or pull it up on your screen, on your phone, whatever it is that you use to get into Scripture this morning. For those of you that are going to be um, taking notes, there are um, going to be four major points that we're going to be looking at, all right? So... That'll help you get oriented. Those of you that aren't taking notes, you'll just know where we are in the sermon and how close we're getting to the end. All right. So there will be four major things that we're going to be looking at. The first of those is the purpose of prayer. Now, if I were to just kind of ask a general question this morning, what is prayer? I might get a lot of answers, but probably... I think the, the common understanding that we have perhaps or the if you ask the person on the street what is prayer, I think the common answer that you'd probably get would be something along the lines of prayer is about asking God for things. okay So prayer has to do with asking God for things. Well certainly that's a, a piece and a part of prayer, but I want to look at something a little bit more foundational because we're looking at foundations, all right, and setting things in order. So I want to look at something deeper as it relates to prayer. Turn with me back just a page, if you would, in your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 17. Because we're, we're talking about Jehoshaphat here. And to understand 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we have to go back a couple of pages kind of to the beginning of his story. The story of Jehoshaphat is told in 2 Chronicles 17, 18, 19, and 20. Chronicles and Kings, of course, uh, are two, or are actually four uh, uh, books in the Bible that describe the kings of Israel and Judah, the ups and downs of all of those various kings. Jehoshaphat is one of the kings of Judah, and he's one of the good kings. It says here, it says, Jehoshaphat, his son, succeeded him as king. All right, he's, he's succeeding Asa, who was not one of the good kings. Often it was bad king, good king, bad king, you know, that was often the... But Jehoshaphat was one of the good kings and strengthened himself against Israel. At this point, Israel is in two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. Judah having Jerusalem as its um, place of, uh, uh, you know, its, its uh, capital city. He stationed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah, but garrisons in Judah and in the towns of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. Now, listen to this summary of Jehoshaphat's life that begins in verse 3. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. Now, pause there for a moment. David was not his physical father. But David was his spiritual father. And what was it said about David? That David was a friend of God. So he followed his father David and the ways of his father David before him. He didn't consult the Baals, sought the God of his father, followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. And the Lord established the kingdom under his control and all of Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. Listen to this. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. His heart was devoted to the Lord. His heart was devoted to the Lord. He followed the ways of his father David. Followed, sought The God of his Father, and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. What does this have to do with prayer? I would contend that it has to do everything with prayer. Come to John 15 with me for a moment. And in John 15, verses 14 to 16, Jesus is saying these words to his disciples. He says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Listen to this. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. Notice what it says there. I'm no longer going to call you servants, but I'm going to call you friends. David was a friend of God. Jehoshaphat followed in the ways of his father David and became a friend of God. How is a friend different than a servant? A friend knows the heart of his friend. The friend reveals his heart to him, to her, so that she can pursue the purposes of God. So when you get to this, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you, this doesn't mean that God becomes some sort of a divine vending machine. This is not something mechanical where, well, I just ask it and I throw Jesus' name on the end and ching God has to do what I've asked. No, this has to do with Relationship. So I am contending that the primary purpose of prayer is to develop our relationship with the living, loving God. And when you know Him, then the things that you begin to ask for are things that are on His heart. And when you ask for what's on His heart, He says, that's my friend. That's my friend. Get it? Okay. So the primary purpose of prayer is developing our relationship with a living, loving God. All right. Let's talk about the posture of prayer. So things move forward. It's really interesting. Oh, but before I get there, for just a moment, one more piece. It would be interesting for you. I would encourage you to read Second Chronicles 17 and 18, because what happens there is very interesting. So the ruler of uh, Israel at that time, Ahab, asks Jehoshaphat to make a treaty with him to come against their mutual enemy, and 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 Jehoshaphat says, "Yep." I'll go with you, but first we must inquire of the Lord. And so they called together 400 prophets, and all the prophets say, yeah, yeah, go up against them. You're going to defeat them. And Jehoshaphat wisely says, well, does there happen to be a prophet of the Lord around? I don't want to hear the, you know, the background noise of those that say, yeah, yeah, go, go, go. I don't need the cheerleaders. I need the ones that are going to hear the heart of God. And Micaiah is called forth. And Micaiah, the first thing out of Micaiah, so, so they say, and, and, and Ahab doesn't even want to do it because he knows that Micaiah, he says, Micaiah always prophesies against me. He doesn't like me. So Micaiah comes and says, prophesy, tell us, are we going to defeat? And he says, sarcastically, yeah, go up against him, you're going to beat him. Jehoshaphat says, come on, tell me the truth. Micaiah says, you go up there. I see your bodies scattered King I see you defeated I see you dead the spirit of the Lord isn't on these and one of the prophets the 400 prophets comes up slaps Micaiah in the face they throw him in prison for not joining the team and sure enough they go out to battle and Ahab dies Micaiah's word comes true a friend of God knows what God's saying, not what other people are saying, but what is God saying? Okay, so that brings us now to chapter 20. I'm going to read a long portion of this for a moment. So we're going to read through from chapter 20, verse 1, all the way through verse 13. Okay? So after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Munites and the Termites and all the otherites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It's already in Hezazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat, listen to this, resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. We're going to come back to this a little bit in just a few moments. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up, In the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord and in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment Or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before his temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. O Lord our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Underline that, not in the Pew Bible, but in your Bible, in your mind. Please underline that. This is one of my constant prayers before the Lord. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Now, what's this posture that we're talking about? Well, it's the same posture that we see throughout the Scriptures. The great men and women of faith continually come back. The one thing, whatever their gender, their education, their age, whatever uh, circumstances and context they lived in, there's one thing that was constant throughout the Scriptures of the leaders of the people of God. Think of Mary. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the Lord left her. I am the Lord's servant. May the word be fulfilled. I don't know how this is. This is when she's receiving the word that she's going to have Jesus. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his death, he goes and he's praying with his disciples who are sleeping, but he's praying. He fell with his face on the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Here's the key, people. Here's the primary purpose. Um, I love what, um, now I'm going to forget her name. Forgive me. Uh, Great writer, older writer, um, Catherine Marshall. Thank you. Catherine Marshall. Somebody helped me. Okay. Thank you, Lord. All right, she's one of my mentors. She's a fabulous woman of God. I mean, if you ever want to read great writing, read read some Catherine Marshall. She talks about this being the heart of the prayer of relinquishment. The prayer of relinquishment. You see, the primary posture, the posture of prayer, is that of utter dependence. And that requires intentional surrender and trust. I don't think that it was a... Coincidence this morning that the Lord led Brenda to lead us into a place of worship and for Hannah to continue to draw us into a place of this place of surrender and the word of the Lord even coming through Hannah saying, I'm you can trust me in this, in that place of surrender, because this is the primary fundamental posture of prayer is saying, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's that place of utter dependence. And it strikes at the very heart of our cultural independence and self-sufficiency. Oh, just pull it together and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like it says in 2 Hesitations 3.12. Okay? You can do it. Well, no, you can't. You, like me, need him. So the primary posture of prayer is just dependence. That's, it's always helpful because it always reorients us back to that place of dependence on him. Okay? Number three, the practice of prayer. That, these are all Ps. So you haven't figured that out yet. Okay, but... And the purpose of prayer... The posture of prayer, the practice of prayer. What's the practice of prayer? I I told you, note earlier, 2 Chronicles 20, 3 and 4. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. They proclaimed a fast, and they came together to seek him. In the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul gives these instructions. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. By the way, I went to um, Eric's class on the life of joy Wednesday night. I learned stuff. It was really good. I would encourage you, if you're not somewhere else Wednesday night, seven o'clock, come back here to the music room and be built up in principles around joy. It's it's powerful. He had some powerful insights that were super helpful for me and I think will be helpful for you. This isn't like a little checklist and you know, seven steps to joy. This is deep fundamental foundational stuff from the book of Philippians. I would encourage you to go to his class. Excellent teacher, excellent teaching on the life of joy. That's an area that you want to grow into. So he says, rejoice always. Pray continually. Wow. What does continually mean? Often. (laughs) Always. (laughs) Without ceasing. What I think I want to get at here, what I believe the Lord wants us to get at, and and this is very simple this morning, but here's what I want to say, is that the primary practice of prayer is consistency. That's individually and corporately. Everybody go, ooh, ah, all right. So if you're thinking I'm going to come up with a lot of techniques for you this morning and things and all the different ways and there's all kinds of acronyms of how to pray and whatever... What I feel like the Lord wants to say to us this morning is, please pray. Just start. It doesn't have to be a lot. You don't have to strap yourself into your Barker lounger for two hours and figure out, how, what, how am I going to fill that time? Just start praying. For me, that's just an ongoing dialogue with the Lord all day long. I pray in my prayer language more than I even pray. Any, I mean, because I can pray in my prayer language all the time, anytime, anywhere. When I, I can multitask <laughs> in prayer because I'm just praying in the spirit, my spirit praying. And I'm doing, so I, I do that more than I pray in my English language and the many other languages that I know three words of. Okay, so. But just begin to pray consistently. This is why we've established corporately a day of prayer. We have a day of prayer every Thursday with prayer times at 7 a.m., noon, and at 5 p.m. How would you like to come and pray? Come and join us. You don't have to pray a lot. You don't have to pray eloquently. You don't have to pray. You can come and agree with prayer with those that are praying. You can come and learn how to pray. You can begin. But let the wellspring of prayer Rise up in us corporately. Begin to pray consistently. When people ask, well, how do you do what you do? How does this happen? How do you have seven congregations and 25 plus nations and all of the different things that are happening here and the continued, I mean, the Lord is expanding this house. I mean, if, yeah. <laughs> Did you happen to notice there was a few more Himalayans here today? They're, they don't have room back here anymore, all right? The Corinth are outgrowing. Think, you know, it's growing, it's expanding. Why? And how does all of that happen? It happens through prayer. Whatever you build it on, you're going to have to sustain it on. So if you're going to build it on program or personality or other stuff or your own hard effort and smarts and strength, God help you. You're going to run into a wall. We build it on prayer, on dependence on Him, on just consistently coming to. I had a wonderful time in leader's prayer yesterday. Just coming and declaring our dependence on the Lord again. It's so vital just to pray. So just begin to do it. Don't wait to be an expert at it. It's like playing the piano or riding a bike. You're going to fall down. You're going to, you know, whatever. It's just, just start. That's the word of the Lord. Even the kids were there. Look at it. He inquired The people of the Lord came from every town. Whoops. It says here, if you keep going. Oh, 13. Sorry. Thank you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Right? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All right. Everybody tracking? All right. Let's finish. Bring her home. All right. So, verse 14. Back with me? Come on. Second Chronicles 20, verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Benaniah, Levite, and the descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly, and he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. I love this. Hear this. In your spirit today, people, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle isn't yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. You'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. And you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa and as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood... And said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men who sang sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of his army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. And the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they only saw dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So he went with his men, Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder, it took three days to collect it. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakai, where they praised the Lord. And that's why it's called the Valley of Barakah, or the Valley of Blessing to this day. And then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies they entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lutes and trumpets. And the fear of the Lord came upon all the kingdoms of the countries. When they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was peace, for, at peace, for God had given him rest on every side. Okay. I love this. Here's the connection of prayer and worship. What we do here when we come together in worship, and we take more time than some congregations take in corporate worship, and I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm just not going to apologize for that. I think God's worthy of that. And it's important for us to come together corporately because in that place, His power is released in our lives. It's when we get into the temple of the Lord and we begin to see His face, it begins to reorient our lives and begins to bring transformation, even in our circumstances. And our perspective on our circumstances are changed in worship. Worship is is dependence. When we're singing, we surrender all, I believe Jesus is looking and smiling and saying, okay, come on, give it to me. Give it to me. Jesus says this to his disciples in Mark 11. We're just coming right to a close right now. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart but believes, that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Now again, this isn't vending machine. This isn't, oh God, this is when we know the heart of God and we begin to posture ourselves in dependence to him. And as we begin to worship and as, as Pastor Dave shared a few weeks ago about faith being holding the door open to God, We hold the door open to him because we have nothing to lose and everything to gain when we do. And we have everything to lose and nothing to gain when we shut that door. When we hold the door open to him, his power works among us. So the primary power of prayer is found in partnering with God to accomplish those things which are on his heart. When he wants a mountain moved, partner with him to see that mountain moved. He wants an army to be defeated, partner with him to see that army defeated, whatever those circumstances. But it's about partnering with God. It's not about presumption and about you gritting your teeth and just saying the right formula in prayer and then God's gonna, you're going to twist God's arm. No, it's like fasting. I encourage and invite us to, into the practice of fasting as well. Perhaps on a Thursday, you want to miss a meal or take a focus. I encourage you to do that. Take a media fast. Do whatever it is that you want to fast on a particular Thursday to turn your attention back towards God. But fasting is not about twisting God's arm to get what we want. It's about posturing ourselves in dependence on him. It's about saying, God, I'm giving this up in order. I'm emptying so that you can fill. We will depend on God in prayer. Here is our principle number three. This is our focus today. Our life and vitality as a congregation is dependent on prayer. Our work will flow out of resting in His presence through prayer. Prayer is not peripheral to our programs, it is the atmosphere in which our programs will be fruitful. So, our prayer purpose is relationship, our prayer posture is dependence, our prayer practice is consistency, and our prayer power comes through partnership with Him. Got it? All right. So it would probably not be helpful just to say, okay, bye now. But I think I want us to, we're going to respond, and I have a song that I don't know that we've sung here, but I know we've sung it with the Lit Apprentices and over in Minneapolis, and it's a really simple song of dependence on God, and I'd like to sing that, and then I'll give a benediction, and then we're going to go into an, another song that's based right out of the and in Second Chronicles 20, forever God is faithful, forever God is strong. But can we stand to our feet? And this morning, again, I don't view preaching of the Word as simply giving you good information. But rather, I see the Lord coming to bring transformation to us. And so if you need to respond today, I'm going to just open up the altar. You can respond where you are. You can come here. I will give a benediction as soon as we've sung this song. I know some of you have places you need to go. That's just fine. But if you would just stay present to respond to the Lord right now, whatever way that is in your heart, just open your heart, open your hands. Go ahead and put the words up if you would. Bowing here, without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. I need you. Lord, I need you. If you want to come, here we go. If you just open your hands. Lord Jesus, in this posture of submission and surrender this morning, we say to you, we need you. Lord, without you, we've been driving our proverbial car into a ditch. Lord, things just don't work. Individually, corporately, we can't do it without you. So we choose today to surrender ourselves again, even this hour. We choose to submit ourselves as a house before you and say, unashamedly, we need you. Oh, we need you so much. Would you come with your salvation, with your deliverance, with your healing, with your justice, with your encouragement, with your comfort, with your hope, with your peace, with your joy, with all that you are, come. And now, again, with hands open, I pray that you might be filled with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home. I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life. For his glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.